Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goal. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is Cody Laughlin. And Cody and his partner, Brian Alfaro, (laughs) (laughs) are the managing partners of Blue Oak Capital, where they are a Houston-based private equity firm with an exclusive focus on the acquisition of workforce BNC multifamily communities across Texas, Tennessee, and Kansas City. So Cody, thank you so much for being here on the show today. Welcome. And how are you doing? Thank you, Elaine. I appreciate it. Doing great. Thank you for having me. So Cody, can you share with us a little bit and give a little bit more color into your background and how you got started with real estate? Absolutely. Absolutely. I started my career, my W2 career in 2008. I was a transplant, as I like to call, from Louisiana to Houston, Texas, pursuing opportunities in the healthcare industry as a healthcare professional. And my wife and I, we bought a house in 2008 on a very poor college budget. We're new college grads, so we didn't have a lot. Luckily, the housing market was kind of at the bottom. So we bought a foreclosed home and we lived in that home for about two years. And while we were working, you know, getting our career started, my wife decided she wanted to move to a different part of Houston. And we bought another home and we tried selling the first home and could not. And we were scrambling. We were like, crap, we can't pay two mortgages. We were still technically broke at the time. And, uh, you know, we said, Hey, we're going to put a resident in there, a tenant, and we'll just figure it out. And that was my introduction into real estate. What I became an accidental landlord. Well, during that same time, I was also on the path to go back to school, get a master's degree, further my career up the healthcare ladder. And I was like, well, I need to really start looking into this real estate thing as far as how to be a landlord and operate this property. And the light bulb started going off. You know, I read the what I call the purple Bible, the rich dad, poor dad. And it was like all of a sudden my entire world was turned upside down. And I realized that the path that I was on was not going to help me achieve the financial future that I was looking for. And so I quickly made a pivot to focus on real estate entrepreneurship and started pursuing other investment strategies within real estate. I tried doing some wholesale. I tried doing a few more buy and holds, a a couple single family flips down the road. Although I learned a lot, what I was realizing was like, man, this is just a second job. I'm still working my full-time W-2. I've got a family at home. And now I have this real estate portfolio that I'm trying to build and I'm burning the candle on both ends. right? And the whole point of doing real estate investing for me was all about time freedom. Money was one thing, but it was really about gaining that control of my time and giving that back to my family on my own terms. So I had, after several years of going through some very hard, expensive lessons learned, chasing some shiny objects and some other business ventures, I finally made a commitment to really scale and build a real estate business. And that was the pivotal moment for me. I made a transition to focus exclusively on multifamily real estate and building the infrastructure for a business And that was in early 2019. And uh, along the way, 
met my partner, John, met my partner, Brian. You know, we formalized Blue Oak Capital and we'd like to say we've been off to the races since, but that's my story. So when you were working as a healthcare professional and you were also going back to school to get a higher education as well, did you continue to pursue that higher education or did you decide to pivot completely into real estate? Yeah, I was fortunate. I discovered this power of real estate in this new world of financial literacy prior to me actually taking that next step and pursuing that advanced education. So I never actually made the the next step to going into the master's program, which I'm thank God I didn't because obviously it's expensive and time intensive. And so I made that pivot right before and I've been blessed to have made that before. So So for you, what was the pivoting point? I know it was around the I know you decided to move into real estate, but what was really the pivoting point for you or who is the one who was the most influential in your life to help make that decision for you to have a complete career change and focus from healthcare into real estate? Through my wife and kids, we were starting our family, my wife and I, and I now have three children. And at the time, I only had two. And what I was realizing is, again, I'm out there going to the W-2 and I'm out there trying to build this real estate business on the side. And I'm not having that time freedom that I'm looking for, right? My W-2 was getting in the way. I wasn't really happy with what I was doing in in residential real estate. I just didn't see a, a accelerated path to financial independence. And my wife, she's super supportive, love her to death, because at the time I was chasing any and everything that could give me the next best thing, right? And she sat me down and she was like, look, you need to get focused. Like you need to pick a lane and stay in it and just get focused and quit jumping all over the place. And I'm thankful for that conversation because that really helped really to get me laser focused and and disciplined on what my future path was going to be. And then my kids were the biggest motivation factor after that, because You know, again, I was tired of the excuses of missing school events, missing sporting events, missing family activities because I was working for somebody else on their time. And that was that was another pivotal moment where I finally got tired of using that excuse and saying, look, I need to go take control of this and and build this business the way it should be done. So I way I I don't have to spend the next 40 years making these excuses. So So when you decided to focus on multifamily, what was the biggest difference between when you made that shift into multifamily versus when you were trying out the wholesaling, fix and flip, single families? What was the biggest change for you there? The mindset. The mindset was definitely the biggest thing because in residential real estate, the barrier to entry is so much lower. So most often people are operating solo, right? You know, they're able to go acquire deals you know, really independently without having to pull together a lot of other resources. When you go to commercial, you're dealing with multi-million dollar transactions, multi-million dollar equity stacks and debt and things like that. So you need more resources and you need a team around you because you're operating a small business. So it was a mindset shift of thinking, okay, I've got to do all this by myself and I can only do it with just me versus I need to go build a team around me that can really help me go and pursue these larger opportunities. And once I had that shift, that shift in the mindset, once I really started getting involved in the networks, and this was key is what I discovered is as I was networking, it was such an abundance mindset within the multifamily community. The commercial real estate space was full of people that were looking to add value to others, looking for opportunities to partner, looking to find ways to help other people advance their businesses. 
And that was a completely different experience than what I was seeing in the residential space. So mindset was definitely, I think the biggest shift in making that transition. So then once you figure out the mindset side of things, and now you're open to these possibilities out there, what were the steps that you took to get into multifamily? And what kind of barriers did you have to overcome to be able to get into your first deal, whether it's actively or passively? So to answer the first part of your question, the start was education. I mean, everybody starts from zero. It is a completely different model than if you're doing residential. So although there are some transferable skills you can take from residential to multifamily, it doesn't quite equate equally. So there was a learning curve. So I had to start gaining the fundamental base knowledge of, hey, how does multifamily real estate really work? So a lot of books, a lot of podcasts, and a lot of networking, going to networking events and such. And in coupling that with, you know, what were the barriers to overcome? Well, in commercial, you have to have three most important things, liquidity, net worth, and experience, right? Well, I had none of the above. And so I was like, well, crap, I've got to go find it. If I'm not the guy that has it, I've got to go find the people that do. So it was really kind of putting myself out there into these networking events and really telling the world who I am and what I'm trying to achieve and what do I need to do to kind of find those complementary pieces to my puzzle, so to speak. And then it was just kind of taking action, just showing up, being persistent, being present, and just putting one foot in front of the other. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. When you found multifamily, how did you see multifamily as a pathway to your financial success and financial freedom and what you envisioned, what your life could look like for you and your family? Well, what I saw was number one, economies of scale. So an accelerated path to reaching financial independence. There's a lot of people that are very successful in residential that have very substantial businesses, but it's such a harder model to scale, right? Because if you're going to buy 100 single family homes, that's 100 different loans, 100 different processes, blah, 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 right? Versus if I want to go buy a 100 unit apartment building, that's one loan, you know, that's one quote unquote roof, so to speak, one insurance policy, all the things that come with the economies of scale, it's all under one entity, so to speak. So I just saw number one, an accelerated path to financial independence because of the economies of scale. The second thing I saw was a higher return of our time and effort. I was putting in the same amount of time and effort that I was in residential in multifamily, but the return on that was exponentially higher. So whether that be through tax advantages, whether that be through income, passive income, uh, things like that, I just saw it multiplying the time and effort multiplying so much faster uh, than residential. So that was the big, another big shift for me. And I was like, oh, like, 
I've been doing this wrong for a while. <laughs> so share a little bit about that first deal that you got into and some of the, you know, the maybe some of the things that you had to face as you were getting into that first one. Well, the first thing is, and again, this kind of is a comparison or, or contrast to residential, you know, the barrier to entry is so much higher in multifamily. Credibility is another key component that you need aside from the net worth, liquidity, and experience, right? So not having any of that, I mean, it took two years, almost two full years of hard work and grind to really get into the first opportunity. So it was doing everything from putting together the business, you know, the brand, the website, the logo, the, you know, the, the cards, business cards, and then going to networking events and meeting people, growing a database, right? And putting together a platform of, of a network that could be potential partners for me, either on the active side or on the passive side. And then really kind of building relationships with the industry professionals, the brokers, the vendors, you know, all the different key players that you need to bring these transactions together. You know, you had to start building all these relationships. And as you probably know, right, with any relationship, it takes time to really build that trust rapport to where this can be a tangible relationship. And so it took us two years of all that grunt work to put together enough of a, a platform that we felt comfortable enough we could leverage. And so what we did is early 2021, we had built a network of experienced operators and sponsors in our target markets. We started reaching out and saying, hey, how can we add value to you? We can bring equity to your deals. We can put, we can raise capital. We want an opportunity to get in on the general partnership side and leverage your experience and your track record to do that. And we were gracious, blessed enough to have an opportunity with an experienced operator who had a portfolio here in Houston, who gave us that opportunity. We were able to perform and execute. And from there, that's where the snowball started happening. That's where it was a proof of concept and all that work that we have done came together to fruition. And it's just now allowed our platform to continue to grow and expand. And now we have the momentum. How did that partnership, as that conversation and that relationship building up, how did that conversation kind of look like in terms of creating that partnership and what it would look like as from a business standpoint for you guys? Well, it first starts off with you. You have to understand, number one, you know, who are you as not only an investor, like what's your investing thesis? What is your value proposition? You know, what do you bring to a partnership that can add value to, to a transaction or a team, right? You have to have that figured out before. A lot of people go out and say, oh yeah, I just want to partner. And it's like, okay, cool. What can you do? Or what do you bring to the table? And they're like, well, I don't know. I want to do it all. Well, that's not a value add. So you got to be very specific and intentful on what your value proposition is. So we started with that. And then once we identified what our proposition was, it was like, hey, who are the people that have alignment of interest similar to us? You know, Who are doing the deals that we want to do ourselves, that we want to be participating in, and who has that successful track record? And we got very intentful about building those relationships and trying to find our way to leverage our value proposition and getting in those relationships. So starts with who you are as an investor and then alignment of interest for sure. How did you start or where was the best places that you guys were finding to build out your network and going to these networking events? How are you finding these different places to be able to meet potential partners and investors? Yeah. So live networking is by far the best place to be. You know, you go out in the conferences, you go out to local meetups in your communities. I mean, that's by far the best way to build great organic relationships. But when we started, you know, we started 2019, early 2020 comes along and then COVID hits, right? And so the entire world goes into lockdown 
And instead of sitting back and saying, oh, crap, we're on the sidelines for a while, we actually leverage the virtual platform. You know, we leverage social media, we leverage virtual networking to continue to push our platform. And we 4X our database through COVID because of the virtual networking. Because what it allowed us to do is like what you and I are doing today is you're on a different part of the world than I am, but we could still be on a conversation building this relationship now. And so that was a major impact for us in a positive way for our business. And then of course, once things did open back up and get back into public, we were very excited to be face-to-face, but in-person networking is key, but you have to have a funnel. Like we have a multi-tiered funnel that we have that has multiple touch points with new potential investors and new potential partners, right? Everything from a virtual presence to our in-person presence, our thought leadership platforms like our podcast. We have so many different touch points out there that people can engage and connect with us that ultimately we utilize to drive them to a relationship and then hopefully be partners with us. And that's another key component as well. So when you started back at the end of 2019, going into 2020, when COVID started hitting and everything and the world shut down, there was so much turmoil going on. You were still doing deals during that time. And you were still building up your business within real estate and still committed to focusing on building the multifamily side up. Why did you... Instead of some people who you know kind of sat back and were nervous about what the market could potentially bring and what could happen within the market because nobody knew it was going to happen, why did you continue to push forward during that time and focus on real estate? Like, what gave you that confidence that real estate was going to be okay and you still were you had a good confidence in the market itself and real estate? Well, multifamily specifically as an asset class has historically been recession resilient, right? It's been tried and tested through multiple different economic cycles and has always been proven to be highly resilient, right? Take the great financial crisis, for example. Yes, a lot of people were negatively impacted by that, especially people in real estate. But when you compare commercial real estate, multifamily particular to residential, it way outperformed the elasticity of residential, right? And that was kind of like the eye-opener of looking back at the historical performance of the asset class and saying, hey, this is an asset class that can weather the storm. And if you think about it, it goes back to that economies of scale, right? If I have a residential home and I have a tenant that moves out, I'm 100% vacant. But if I have a 100-unit building and I have one tenant that moves out, I've still got 99 others that are paying rent. You know what I mean? So that's the power of the economies of scale. So number one, it was just the resiliency of the asset class having been tested through other economic cycles prior. The second thing was, I think as a sophisticated investor, trying to time the market and play the market is always your biggest risk, right? The savvy investors know that you can buy at any part in the cycle, whether you're at the top or whether you're the bottom, so long as you know how to adjust and pivot with that cycle. And so for us we were, call it young and naive as commercial real estate investors, but we just saw it as an opportunity. You know, like, hey, there's still opportunities to buy right now and buy smart, of course, but it posed its own challenge. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it was very difficult during that time to continue. But at the same time, we just saw it as, hey, this is just another part of the cycle that you have to continue to grow and adjust to. And savvy investors, they don't just sit on the sideline. They're always investing, whether the top, the bottom, anything in between. So So after you completed the first deal, how did you follow up with the sequential investments and opportunities that you have been able to get into as part of multifamily real estate? 
Yeah. So with the first one, obviously you learn a lot. You learn what goes well and what doesn't go so well. So we spent a lot of time reviewing our processes, You know what worked really well for us. And we were very fortunate to have a lot of people that we saw as role models and mentors in the space that we can mimic what they're doing that was very successful in their business. So we applied a lot of those applications to our own business for the first one. And it worked out really, really well. But we still had some some slight bumps that we said, okay, we need to iron these things out. So we spent some time working and perfecting our processes. And that translated into about another roughly six months or so before we got into the second deal and using those refined processes to get in the second deal. And then the third one came, I don't know, immediately right after that, maybe two months later. And then the fourth one, three months after that. So every opportunity, you find ways to learn and grow and just continue to iron out your processes and put in better systems, right? And we just kept perfecting it as we went. What do you think from that first one to the second deal, do you think was the biggest refinement that you had to make in order to get to that second one? Oh, that's a good question. I think the biggest refinement was probably... How do we go about engaging investors into our database like when we get ready to put a deal out, right? And so how do you condition your database to be expecting another deal or another investment opportunity? How do you create a little bit of scarcity and priority on your opportunity that's going to be coming up? So it's a little bit of a marketing strategy, but just kind of really... I think it was really on the marketing front. We had to really work through some of that and fine-tune because really, we put out the second deal six months later, kind of really unannounced and not as proactively as we wanted it to. And so that was kind of an eye-opener for us. Like, hey, we really got to have this marketing strategy down a little bit better. So So for you now, Cody, now that you're full-time in this multifamily space, what, if anything, has real estate investing impacted your life? And how has that impacted your life? Well, actually, to be transparent, I'm actually still a W-2 employee part-time. But that is done intentionally because we're definitely still in a very accelerated growth mode in our business. So we are continuing to keep all of our profits within our company so we can continue to push out and grow our platform. The biggest impact for me is giving me the light at the end of the tunnel, as I like to see, call it. Right. So I now see that that forward path to that financial independence that I've been looking for. It's right there at my grasp. We're just trying to continue to push and grow the business. But that has been the biggest benefit for me is I'm now seeing and benefiting from the opportunity to have that control back and start taking more control of my own time and my schedule and operate my day-to-day how I want to, not versus W-2. So that's the most important thing for me. And if there was one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? Go bigger, faster. Definitely. Things get so much easier as you go bigger. And I know that sometimes the numbers may seem overwhelming, you know, or the check sizes seem overwhelming. The barriers to entry are a little bit harder. I will tell you, it's from experience. Going bigger is so much easier than trying to just do one or two, four units at a time. So going bigger, faster... I would have skipped single family altogether and just gone straight to commercial. And then what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? Those who are never never afraid to continue to learn and take action and those who never lose humility. I think once people start getting to a point of arrogance or thinking that they know it all, that's when they really open themselves up to a lot of critical mistakes. And so the people that are constantly evolving, constantly surrounding themselves with people that are 
smarter or, or highly successful more so than they are, always looking for opportunities to grow. Those are the successful people that will always continue to, to lead the path. Cody, well, thank you so much for sharing all of your insight today with us and to sharing a little bit more about your background and your story. So for our listeners also who want to find out more about you, follow your progress and what you're doing in the space, where's the best place that they can go to find out more? Yeah. Thank you, Alina. I want to thank you again so much for having me. This has been a fun conversation. But um, anybody that's interested in learning more about apartment syndication and how you can invest in these direct private offerings in the commercial real estate space, check out our podcast. We have a great podcast called The Prosperity Through Multifamily Real Estate Investing Podcast. We're on all of your major streaming services, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And if you want to connect with me directly, you can always find us on social media. Brian and I are both very active on social media, LinkedIn primarily. So you can find me at Cody Laughlin. Or if you want to reach out to me directly, check us out at Cody at BlueOakInvest.com. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Cody. Thank you. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.